0: Support comes from the San Juan Islands. Spring in the San Juans can provide time to slow down and savor the scenery of quiet beaches, hiking, biking, and whale watching. On Lopez, Orcas, and San Juan Island and Friday Harbor. Learn more at com. Set your mind to island time. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KOW's Week in Review. I'm your host, Bill Radke. As Bing goes big, is California through kicking silicon in our faces? Also, today, changes in Seattle in school enrollment and city councilors. Unfortunately, not enough change in crime. And what does Washington state officially smell like? Here to talk about all of this stuff is New York Times technology correspondent, Karen Wise. Hi, Karen. Hi, there. Political analyst, Joni Balter. Hi, Joni. Hey, there. Science journalist, Jane Seehu. Hi, Jane. Hello. And we're streaming the show so you can watch it if you prefer. That's on YouTube or Facebook. Just search KUOW Public Radio. Okay, our first topic. When I was a kid, magazines used to run cartoon ads that showed a pale 97-pound weakling at the beach with his girlfriend. A bully kicks sand in his face, and she says, Don't let him hit you, Joe. So he signs up for a bodybuilding program, and he bulks up and punches the bully back. And she says, Oh, Joe, you are a real he-man after all. And the bully is named Google. Uh, The 97-pound weakling is named Bing. He's pale because he's from Redmond. And the bodybuilding company is called OpenAI. Got that? The resurgence of the weekling. This week Bing punched back and Karen, you report on that beach for the New York Times. Some of our listeners have not followed this closely. So will you first just tell us what what's OpenAI? What does they do what do they do that is special enough for Microsoft to give it $13 billion and an unveiling?
1: Yeah. OpenAI, it started as a nonprofit, is now a kind of a Confusionly formed for-profit startup that is doing what's called uh, generative AI through large language models, which is a, a mouthful. But it's basically trying to consume huge amounts of data of written word and and images and other types of. Um, uh, core information and process them and look for patterns. And what's so unique about it is it's this: is the the vast scope of what it's looking at and trying to find patterns in. And then you're seeing with ChatGPT, which came out in the fall, and now this new being is can spit out new generative answers. So it can create new answers based on what it's read. It's not just pulling individual kind of facts out from the past. And so several years ago. Uh, Microsoft began a relationship with them and Core AI, um, excuse me, um, OpenAI and Microsoft have kind of this symbiotic relationship now because the computers that OpenAI needs, these supercomputers, is are provided by Microsoft now. Mm-hmm. So for several years, they've been providing this processing power, what's called compute, and these supercomputers to do this huge amount of process, it's, you know, crunching of all this, these words and images and different things. And now we're starting to see the fruits of it. So they made a future investment, another ten billion dollars in OpenAI, and then now we have. They've been releasing kind of smaller products along the way. One that works with coders, for example, and GitHub for those of you who use this, that helps write code. Um, and now you're seeing this. Big launch in a consumer way with Bing. You know, search is the, the the Satya Nadella CEO can say this is the number one consumer software category. It's a huge market, and Bing has this tiny market share, and so they kind of are using that as a way to experiment in a way that could be harder if you were even bigger.
0: A ninety-seven pound weekly market share, in fact. For example. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to hear what what Jane and Joni want to know. My my first question is, how is this leaps and bounds beyond what? Google does. So Google, you know, I, very quickly spits out a whole bunch of links to a bunch of different answers. So this this AI what, picks one, merges it all into one possible answer? What's the why is that such a boffo application?
1: So the way Google and kind of the normal Bing work is when you put in a set of inf- questions or words in it to search for. It just spits back a bunch of links. And they try to find the most useful links. But you'll say, you know, what are the symptoms of a cold? And it'll spit back a bunch of links that say, what are the symptoms of a cold? And you have to find the other ones. With this now, it gives you something closer to answers. And in this case, answers with hyperlinks to the pages if you want to dig in more. So if you would say, if you right now you could say, I've got a runny nose, sore throat, and itchy head, what might I have? And it instead will spit back, these are the four most likely things you have. I haven't run this example, but that's the type of query you could do. Or what's a great itinerary to go to to Mexico for three days in, in winter? Um, the other day I, I'm going on vacation soon, so I said, you know, what is the what is the water temperature? Uh, you know, or is it comfortable to swim on this beach in right now in Mexico? And it said, well, the current water temperature is 80 degrees, and that's typically a warm temp- you know, a comfortable temperature for swimming. So okay. it, it kind of takes different information, mashes it together, and gives you an answer. And it looks very different too.
0: Okay, as someone who generally thinks that there's never just one answer to a question, that <laughs> sort of disturbs me. But uh, Joni, you look like you want to go next.
2: Well. You all know the old joke, right? Why can't Bono get off of Bing? Do you want to sing with me? Because he killed, he still can't still, find what he's, what he's looking, looking for. <laughs> okay. So it's good to know that Bing is, you know, coming back, perhaps. Uh, and it does feel like there it's going to be more um, simple to use, more sort of hands free. Be it, it sounds like. Uh, other users have... have Hands-free
0: meaning because they have a great speech recognition uh,
2: component? Is all you have to do is hit the, the microphone button and it's, okay. it, it speaks with you. I guess you have to touch that. But let's say you say to this, as I understand it from somebody who used it, you you, you speak to it and you say, uh, can you give me a, a really good recipe for fettuccine? And it it supposedly gives you the recipe for fettuccine and where to buy the ingredients, which is, you know, that's pretty useful. That how far Google. beyond
0: Alexa is this? Alexa picks one answer.
2: It's the the I wouldn't I won't focus
1: too much on the voice component. I actually didn't demo that. That might be if they talked about that something in the future. But um, but it's really more about um, pulling from different parts So Alexa, so in this case you would say, what's a great meal plan for a vegetarian family for four? And it would say you could have these meals on these different days. Okay, can you write me a shopping list for that by aisle? Or by category, and then it will literally just spit out a shopping list of you know fresh produce, milk mm. aisle, and it also whatever. knows
2: where you shop because you couldn't have aisle if it, if it was. 40. It wasn't by aisle, but by category. Um, I see. Oh, yeah, I see. Okay. yeah.
1: But um, or you know, one example they did was: does this particular IKEA cabinet fit in back in the back of like a nineteen whatever Subaru Forester? So I heard about that yes, on NPR, which is a search I have personally done precisely as an mm. IKEA shopper. So, that's, that's good. so it kind of can take information from different places and mash it together. There are definitely holes. For example, in this IKEA one, it said, I can't say for sure, but let me but it pulls together different information you might might need, which is the dimension of this bookshelf, bookcase and the dimension of the trunk of a Subaru 19 whatever Forester. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that sounds super
3: useful to me, and I would be happy to use it for that. I guess the thing that worries me is thinking about how much search results already kind of constrain what people are finding on the internet and thinking about, you know, if you're like going on vacation and you're asking the best places to go, are we going to have people going to like the four same places? I mean, in a lot of cases, yeah, that's already happening, but it just feels like uh, a good way to recommend a lot of sameness to people. And the other thing is... uh, I'm curious what it does with the misinformation because you know, if you're talking about how big a Subaru outback drunk is and how big the object you're trying to fit in it, that feels like a very finite answer. Um, but I can see a lot of things falling in that gray area where it's complicated, and I don't know how well an AI at this point could really put together a package of information.
0: Those are two great questions. There's the mono you know the first one was like, Redundant. What think of the power of being one of the few or the one that gets recommended? Did you have any response yeah, to that? Yeah, no, point?
1: I think it's unclear what this is gonna do to like the whole ecosystem of the internet because there are all these publishers out there that make websites that depend on links from search engines. And so if you get fewer links, in some sense, You know, the argument Microsoft is making is you'll get better links. You'll get more. They say 40% of people search something and then immediately when they click on a link, go back to the search page, which is saying that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to reduce that and kind of get you closer to the links you want. But you're going to you're going to link out less like you just it's going to give you more answers in the feed by like by design. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have my head around yet how that's going to transform a huge industry of people that produce content in the world.
0: Yeah. And then Jane's second good question was, there's a bunch of wrong stuff on the internet. Wrong, you could say wrong factually. We can get into wrong morally, socially, ethically. What about misinformation? Huge question. Absolutely huge question. Because
1: this can generate text on its own. So you can say, I haven't tried this example, but conceptually you could say, you know, I, I someone did a thing. I oh, can't remember if it was on Bing or on one of the other uh, generative things. You know, write me a Sandy Hook denial thing and the voice of Infowars, whatever, and it writes all the arguments very quickly. Mm. And so um, it could it could accelerate the production of misinformation as well. And so you know, the companies put this out there. They say we're aware of this. We get it. We put in some safe. You know, they have safeguards kind of in the loop of what it. Um, spits out at the the time, currently. But they're very much like, we got to get in the world to see. And we haven't seen like one explode in your face thing that makes them not do it, but it's not very widely released yet. So we'll see what happens if and presumably when...
3: You know, some of the more problematic stuff comes out. So it's always an arms race between uh, human darkness and technology's ability to weed it out.
0: Yes. Remember when when the Twitter users trained that AI the wasn't that a Microsoft uh, chatbot to be uh, aggressively bigoted? Tay. Tay. Yes. Tay. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. So that and they took that down in like was it days? I want to say so they're very aware of this. I mean, that came up multiple times when they announced this product.
2: So I'm just um, thinking in terms of, you know, Microsoft over the many years and some of the mistakes they've made. They've done some big, fabulous stuff, but some of the mistakes over the years. Um, and Bing was really one of the big mistakes that because it never really achieved what they had hoped, you know, along with their antitrust problems. And they never really hit with the right telephone. And so how big a deal is this for micro- Microsoft? They're $13 billion in, as we know, so that's betting the bank a little bit. And as Bill asked in, in some of the earlier questions when we were talking among ourselves, this could really bring, a, if it's successful, a lot of people back. You know, reverse the um, the tech retreat. Do you do you believe that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say tonally when they launched this, there was a swagger that you haven't heard <laughs> from them in a very. Long time, because they are now on the forefront of something. And where, you know, Bing is the number two search engine. Azure is a, you know, built, a which is their cloud computing product, kind of the core of their business now. Very successful, but number two to AWS, um, Amazon's cloud computing. So you see them at the forefront, the forefront of um, something that can be both... Consumer-based, like Bing is, but they're already pushing these tools into their many, many, many business applications that they already have out. So, like they launched a tool for salespeople that will take your date, your customer database of your sales interactions, and help write emails from a salesperson to the person that you're selling to. And they say you can, you know, write twice as many emails in a day. So. I, I hope I don't get twice as many emails in a day. That's not
3: good <laughs> that, that sounds bad. I don't want that. That's, that's not, not going to go well. But not for me. Yeah. You know?
0: I have a friend who's an architect who said this is the end of market research firms because this is your market research firm. I, that may be hyperbole, but that's – I mean, and then just multiply that. What else – what other sectors, if, if that's true, could this just decimate?
1: I mean we'll say they are go- they are literally going like product by product and the, I I was told to expect announcements like every week of different features of these products being pushed into all of these different products you know software programs that people use every day you know you'll see it in you'll see it in office products you'll see it in dynamics 365 you'll see it for the coders you'll see it in all these little products that a lot of people use every day in their job and you know some will get adopted more than others and some will work or actually have better function than others. Well,
2: for a long time it felt like yeah, AI those robots they'll be here someday. Now it feels like they're here Something in a big way.
1: That's interesting about this kind of new phase of what's called general generative AI is that um it's It has a very general purpose because it's trained on so much such a wide breadth of data. So you don't before you used to have to train individual little models for salespeople for in this industry versus that for whatever. and now they can kind of point whatever they want at this really kind of one broad broad model. It's more expensive to run. So that is gonna, a big open question. Like One of the executives I spoke with said software might become more expensive because it's going to be doing more things. Hmm. So there's like just a lot of shifting going on. Um, and it's still clearly very early, but it's kind of remarkable how much has happened with the release of what's called you know GPT-3, GPT-3.5, which is the chat GPT people started playing around with in the fall. And then what is... Um, expected to be GPT-4, which is, they didn't say it, but what is presumed to be the underlying model that Bing is based on, the -hmm. new Bing. Uh,
0: Just, we're going to move on, but little questions I have. Um, Will Bing stay free like Google? Do we know?
1: They said yes, and they're pursuing an ad-supported model, and you can already see that in some of the links and stuff, Mm -hmm. but, you know... ChatGPT has launched a paid version, too. So it's not to say there might not be. I, I don't know. They've said yes, though.
0: Yeah. W- did I read, and maybe it was in your reporting in the New York Times, that OpenAI was initially funded in part by Amazon, by Amazon Web Services? Maybe it wasn't your story. I, I don't I know saw... that
1: fact. I know um, that it had a bunch of, like, tech luminaries, like Elon Musk was yep. involved initially and things like that. And it has a very complicated structure that I frankly don't totally understand it has like profits will eventually be capped and put into a nonprofit somehow i don't totally understand it so i'm a okay. little hesitant <laughs> to say
0: more this is another uh, college dropout you know i won't say genius i don't know the kid, but altman right just stanford dropout it, big in nuclear power he's on the chairman of the board in nuclear power and so I, you know, capping capping profits, putting them to a nonprofit, is that going to be up to him? He's going to be one of these, another interesting, what what does he care about type of, like Bill Gates type of guys.
1: Yes, yes. This is Sam Altman who runs um, OpenAI. Yeah. And it's uh, kind of remarkable. It's a pretty small startup. They have, I think, a couple hundred people, if I'm not mistaken. And they've kind of, you know, you just created this huge th- Huge change, basically, pretty quickly, again, with this Microsoft supercomputers that they kind of built for them. But um, but, yeah, it's he's someone to watch.
0: OK. Have we exhausted it for now? We, we were, talk, were talking. We're more, f- we more
2: frightened, but OK.
0: <laughs> well, we, we had an idea because later in the show, and I'll tell you why, we're going to discuss what what should be the official aroma of Washington state. And so I, we were saying, you were saying, well, I, I might get an answer to that. And yeah. so, because you, you've got the fancy version, I, do I don't have, have that. Version. But you've got whatever they've released for the for the early adopter Bing adopters. You've got that search function. So what comes up if I say so if Washington? You, if
1: you do the search on Google, it has a bunch of links that say, "What is the aroma of Washington State?" And then mm-hmm. you have to click into those links. But according to new Bing, it is evergreen trees, chocolates, and mushrooms, rotten eggs, cannabis, and salt water. <laughs> Quote. Washington State has a rich and varied smellscape that reflects its natural and human-made features. Okay,
3: I think this is so (laughs) exemplary of what ChatGPT does, right? So, one, there's the opacity of where did rotten eggs come from? And two, uh, that sentence at the end, it makes sense. It's like a coherent sentence, but it's not really saying anything. And I feel like ChatGPT is so good at that. It spits out these sentences that just are kind of filler. Like, it kind of feels like a high schooler's essay where they're like, I got to get to the 800-word limit or whatever. Yeah, totally. Absolutely.
2: You know, Bill wrote me an email once pretending he was chat GPT. (laughs) And I read it straight at first. It's like, I'm busy. I'm reading your note. And then I went back and I went, oh, I get it. So then I wrote him back a lesser version of it. But as you read it, it does expand on, like, your title. And then that's two lines. And it just goes on too long Mm -hmm. without saying... Yeah. And uh, what feels like enough.
1: Yeah, I will say these do have links out. So the rotten oh. egg, I can hyperlink to uh, the aroma of Tacoma. Or- oh, man, oh. you took one of mine. <laughs> Hydrogen sulfide mine. from the Washington State That's Department okay. of Health. So actually it is a lot easier. They're trying to add some transparency. But sometimes they just link out to those kind of like junk sites anyways where you got to go.
2: And it's not actually rotten eggs, but it does smell like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's,
0: let's pause and, uh, and take a break. That, that's our top story this week on <laughs> KOW's Week in Review. Uh, Karen Wise from the New York Times, technology correspondent. They're leading the way. Thank you, Karen. Let's take a break. And we've got Jane C. Hu and Joni Balter. I'm Bill Radke. We'll be right back. You are listening to KUOW's Week in Review. You might be watching it if you're watching the live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Search KUOW Public Radio there. We have science journalist Jane C. Hu, political analyst Joni Balter, New York Times tech correspondent Karen Wise, and I'm Bill Radke. How crime-ridden is Seattle? Well, this week, Seattle Police Department released its annual crime report, Joni Balter. What did you learn from that?
2: Well, I learned what I sort of already knew, but just put some numbers on and you know some comparisons to earlier times, uh, but no one should be uh, sneezing at something like crime hit violent crime hits fifteen year high. This is not good news in in any time, and certainly not when your police force is down five hundred and twenty five officers the you know the, Danny Westneat wrote a really good piece, I believe it was last Sunday, about—
0: In the Seattle Times. In the
2: Seattle Times, about people's um, attitudes in Portland about Portland. Uh, they're repelling uh, locals. People are moving out because Portland was too casual about just this kind of topic in many ways. So I think this is a pivotal moment for the city. I, I know the mayor's going to talk in his State of the Union at some point here. I think it's a week from now. Uh, about what the city can do. But we, we need to get our act together. And I've heard so many people talk about like, you know, when the police force started to decline and crime started to go up. Oh, you know, you need some perspective. It was it was like this in the 90s. Well, first of all, the police force was much bigger in the 90s. And why would we want to aspire to that? That's bragable. how? I don't really get it.
0: I'll give you one question and I'll pass it on but uh, the report noted they compared us Seattle to a couple of cities near our size and said that Austin Texas had more homicides last year Denver Colorado had more homicides so did they and I don't know what their policing situation is or their political situation but did, it makes me wonder how true is the uh, Seattle Police Department's claim that this this is happening in every city across the nation
2: Well, it is happening in many cities. I I shouldn't say every because I can't speak to every. It's happening in many cities. Many police forces are down. Everybody's having a hard time hiring cops are actually competing for them, you know, with these different bonuses and things. Um, You know, homicide stats are really tricky because you're using small numbers and you're comparing them to either a year before or a 10 year trend or something. They're tricky. But I think if, they're in
0: the 50s for listeners who want some context. I think it's yeah, in the 50s in right. Seattle. Right. And Seattle in a year. was
2: always less than places like like you mentioned. So, I wouldn't get I just would not ever be smug about that number. It just the 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 point is we're not doing very well compared to ourselves and I don't really I mean, I care, but it's not a a number one concern. How is Austin doing? I hope well, but, you know, my my question, my concern is about Seattle, you know, and I think we should get real about this, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but you can do that by changing your government, which is about to change anyway, with or without you. I'm curious
3: what the actual, like, number figures are, because, I mean— 15, highest in 15 years. That definitely sounds bad. I also wonder how much the increasing population might be a contributing factor there. We know that Seattle's population has definitely increased in the last 15 years. Does that just correspond with
2: higher crime rates? Well, you know, I, I know what you're referring to. So a lot of people said, well, you know, it was only a 1% increase if you uh, bring in the population, if you calculate that way. It was a 4% increase. But whenever I see a trend that's talking about 15 years and we're on the wrong end of it, I don't think we should uh, be patting ourselves on the back for that. I think we should be taking action to um, make improvements. And, you know, of course the city is trying to do that. They are trying to add police officers. Uh, It's very difficult right now to hire, and, and people keep leaving.
1: I think one of the values, though, of comparing to other cities is that it gets at a question of how much is it a political problem Versus there's a lot going on in the past couple of years and how much, you know, we, like I, if, if I'm not mistaken, the data was showing that the second half of the past year w- had improvements. Um, So it was it, it,
2: it was last quarter.
1: But last that is, quarter. But that so, is so, so are that we. So I like, guess so my question is, is there was this a pandemic fueled um, stressor on everything that, you know, you can pull out of or was what role does politics play? You know, I I saw some research that showed that like in 2020, Democratic led cities had a slightly higher rate of uh, crime increase than Republican led cities, but not dramatically. So it was like. Um, What was it? Twenty nine percent in Democratic cities, 26 percent in Republican led cities. And also
2: red states have more. So so I guess. So you want to do states, you want to do cities. I think the value of looking at other places is if you're trying to
1: figure out a solution, if you're saying it's a political solution, I think that can be helpful to understand if it was a political problem or, you know, a lot of factors coming to head. I'm not saying every, you know, Austin has affordability issues as well. For example, like those are the types of things that can obviously lead to conditions that can lead to crime. Yeah, so, but that's what I was
0: getting at. If you were if you were going to conclude that it's because of the number of police officers dropped, well then you'd want to compare it to places where police officers have and haven't dropped. You, you would comparisons. Are important, right? Well, let me address all figure... of that,
2: and the, and and, and you hit on a bunch of different things. So, of course, this is across the country and in Seattle and Portland, for that matter, pandemic driven. There's a narcotics overlay. There's a mental health addition, uh, additional factor. And if you want to talk about the politics, what you can't do. Um, it doesn't work, is talk about defunding the police as seriously as our Seattle City Council did a, uh, a few years ago.
0: Just the talking about it caused crime?
2: Well, well, talking about it, it... didn't
0: really happen, right?
2: Talking about it doesn't raise crime, but it makes police officers not want to work here. And by the way, that that measure did pass, seven to two in the Seattle City Council, so it wasn't just, hi, we're, we're sitting down here having some fun talking. They actually passed that measure seven to two. So, you know, how do you hire police officers? Well, you don't make them feel like you don't want them working for you. Would be one change we could hope for in the city, and that's one I'm, I very much hope for.
0: So, you've concluded that that the the, the shortage or the that the, the departure of police officers caused crime.
2: No. Oh. I think they're, they're, they're parallels. Uh, but I do oh. think that you're not going to feel very safe if you know that there's less likelihood that someone could help you uh, in a in a rapid way since crime happens pretty quickly, most of it.
0: And you may so, not even report the crime so that we could be under-reporting crime. And, and
2: a lot of people think that. So, um Seattle City Council member Sarah Nelson tweeted this week when all this was being announced, she thought property crime is much higher than what was reported because people aren't really they're, – they're so tired of it, some of the small businesses that are really bearing the brunt of this, that they're tired of reporting it. And they're not, they're not going to you know, call up every time a window is broken. They're just not. They're, but they are going to move out, and then you won't hear from them as, from them as much.
3: I do also want to push back on the statement that people might feel safer with more police officers around, because in talking with people from many different communities around Seattle, I know that's not always the case. Um, But, you know, I am also curious about, you know, solutions beyond. It certainly is the case that maybe some people do feel safer with more police around, and that's maybe something to address. But. Some of these deeper issues that Karen kind of alluded to as well, I mean, the last few years have had so many different things going on, such a mental health crisis around here, Um, drug issues. I wonder if, well, I don't know that uh, our police department will necessarily have a direct solution to that, but I do wonder if there is, you know, additional funding or opportunities for other agencies to try and address the root of these issues rather than just kind of, you know, dealing with the aftermath of well, that, reporting them? that's
2: a fabulous question, and, and I'm really glad you raised it. So, obviously, police aren't the solution to all of it, and we need substantial—I don't want to, like, speak in a vacuum that doesn't address this— we absolutely need police reform, and, you know, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with hiring, I believe. Um, there's a lot of different things that could make things better. Um, community policing as a model, which we have some of it, but we don't have it where we where we have needed it in some locations, in some of the crime hotspots, especially downtown. I mean, just I was talking to some uh, business folks yesterday who said just bringing back so, – so a lot of um, – of the remote workers have come back to work downtown. As an example, two days a week. If you just ratcheted that up a tiny bit to either three or four days a week, you would just you would have that feeling of safety on the streets because more people makes people feel safer.
0: You brought up the change coming in Seattle city government. At least four city councilors are leaving. A fifth, I guess, is hoping to leave because <laughs> she's running for a county no. office. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think a couple are staying and one we don't know. Um, and some of the city councilors have pointed to how rancorous and, and bitter it is to, to try to be a public official in Seattle as we're as the pandemic is easing. Is Do you think that any of this anger and rancor also eases or do you think that lingers?
2: Well, I think our angry politics, which were just as evident on the State of the Union the other night, are just Making the every bringing out the worst in everybody and making the job that much more difficult, so people don't want to do it. Uh, so, but the reasons so many people are leaving the city council, they're they're varied, as almost as varied as you know the the members that are leaving. I mean, some are leaving, and I would argue, Sawant, uh, Council Member Shama Sawant is leaving. Because she has two, at, well, at least two really strong opponents and knows she'll lose. She only run her recall by like in, in December 2021 by 311 votes, something like that. Uh, another council member, the president, Deborah Juarez, I spoke to her this morning. I mean, she says she loves public service. Uh, she's done it most of her life. But she had said years ago she wasn't going to run again. And I do believe that some of these. Um, Credible threats against her and um, protests in front of her house for eight weeks made the job a little bit less worth it than it was when she started. And you, you can understand that. I've heard from other politicians not on the city council. I wrote an elevator recently with um, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. She was talking about uh, some of the you know threats at her own home. Uh, this is a big deal. And it, we are asking a lot of our public servants, I think, the angry rhetoric is that's what needs to ease more than anything. Before we
0: take a break, I want to hit a Seattle issue that's also a Bellevue issue, because uh, this week Bellevue Public Schools told us which three elementary schools they're thinking of closing because of declining enrollment. Ardmore, Eastgate, and Wilberton Elementary Schools. Seattle's considering closing schools. Karen, do we know why kids are leaving our public schools?
1: Not Fully, it seems like. It seems like there's a bit of a mix of things. There's the pandemic. And so you had, you know, the, the Seattle schools, public schools were, were later to reopen. And so you had families move to public uh, private schools um, where they could have in-person learning. And some have stuck. I know some families who have stayed. I know of some families who have returned to public schools. Um, there is demographic change of just broadly families having fewer, you know, fewer kids. Um, and then nationally, you have, nationally oh. and in cities in particular, yeah, in part right. because another thing, they're very expensive. Right. So there seems to be a confluence of factors, but there's no doubt that the pandemic kind of accelerated whatever demographic change. I mean, the the, the the degree to which it changed quickly is not how pand, not how demographic typically, demographics typically change things. So there was clearly an accelerant there, which, yes. which I think I suspect affected both just like, again, the classroom education, the wanting private schools or homeschooling, or, um, and housing. Housing obviously got a lot more expensive in the pandemic. Yeah,
0: so the decline in, in enrollment is particular in elementary schools. And our listeners need to know that school districts get money from the state based on the number of students enrolled. So fewer students, less money. I got more questions, but any uh, other questions or observations?
3: Friends of mine who teach are so tired and burned out. And I know especially folks here in the school system have felt at times unsupported, um, having to make really fast pivots on a dime. Um, And so I wonder how this is going to affect um, teachers as well um, with these schools closing, if they're going to get moved around, reassigned, um, and if that is going to cause further strife in the school systems. Yeah, I saw some reference that a lot of
1: the growth in the district's headcount had been in administrative staff, um, and so I would assume that would get pared down some. But if you just have fewer kids at some point, you need fewer teachers eventually. Though mm-hmm. I, I have a kindergartner; it's my first experience in the in the public school system, and I can see. I actually think having a, a not an overflowing school, but a more full school, could actually make it easier in some sense because there's clearly resources that get shared when you have that and i I just can imagine if you have a half full school just not having those types of help you wouldn't have a pta who could supplement you wouldn't have the music teacher come by once a week you know because they have to go to bigger schools and do twice a week there whatever it may be i could just imagine like some of the support we have a you know um our school is like a care coordinator for kids that need additional services, you know, like food and stuff like that. So um, that sort of thing. I don't see how you have that if you have reduced capacity. And I can imagine more of that burden coming on teachers. But I I have not. But I'm sure also the I know I spoke to a teacher yesterday about this. The um, uncertainty about is your school going to be closed is seemed very unfun.
0: And unfun for a lot of parents who lined up to to complain.
2: I just hope some of the consolidations are flexible because, you know, these things ebb and flow. The pandemic is, is the thing I would blame the most because it changed so much of people's behavior and their expectations. They founded home schools, they co-ops, private stuff. And, you know, also some of the um, sort of reductions in learning in the Seattle public schools due to programs being cut or more uh, teacher training days. I mean, it just sort of gets on parents and they, may, and they vote with their feet.
0: So the alternative to cutting to closing schools would be cutting teacher salaries, laying off staff. I mean, isn't isn't consolidating we we also want our our government to use taxpayer money efficiently and isn't that what the consolidation is partly about?
1: I have not seen what an alternative would be and I it's interesting, you know, um you know you you hear or read the parents saying you know I bought a home just for this school and i know plenty of people who who did that we sort of did in, in our family but we also knew these dist- these lines change as growth changes and moves in and out of neighborhoods i we know schools that are bursting at the seams and schools that are losing a a kindergarten class or two each year so um i just think part of living in a city is accepting change and that comes with building density that comes with school boundaries it comes with a lot of things that's part of the package of the greatness of living in the city in my opinion
0: yeah when i lived in a condo in belltown in 1995
1: i had a nice view too you never know what's going up exactly (laughs) exactly
0: Um, okay. Anything else on? By the way, I read a, a, a factoid. I guess in the, I think it was in the Seattle Times that in the 1960s, Seattle public schools enrollment was double what it is today. So talk about booms and busts and coming they, and going. They had
2: to be an accordion or over the over the many decades serve this many students. Oh my gosh, should drop for demographic or other reasons. But they have to be flexible about it because it's always going to change. The math is kind of mind blowing. I mean, Private
1: schools are very expensive. Oh, I mean, I don't, not to state the obvious. And it's just, you know, this is the math of a state with limited taxing capabilities and stuff like that. So um, not that everything comes back to that. In,
2: oh, or, it can. But it oh, it can, can. You know,
1: like, <laughs> it's a lot of money being um, moved around. Yeah, Families Indeed. obviously make the decisions for themselves, um, but it's just a lot of money.
0: We're watching the week gone by with you and figuring it out with a panel of journalists here. That's Karen Wise from The New York Times. We've got political analyst Joni Balter and science journalist Jane C. Hu. I'm Bill Radke. We're going to take a break. And, Jane, I'm going to get back with you on the end of the COVID vaccine requirement in some places and not others. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. There goes another piece of the pandemic. As of this week, King County and Seattle City employees don't have to be COVID vaccinated to keep their job. Jane who? why are the city and county dropping this requirement now?
3: Well, according to um, County Executive Dow Constantine, we are in a, quote, different place with the pandemic um, now that vaccines and boosters are widely available. Um Keep in mind that state requirements are still in place. But for me, this just feels like it signals a moment where our government in general might just be reevaluating their COVID requirements and policies. Um, This week, federally, um, the Biden administration announced that they are dropping the COVID public health emergency declaration, which is what allowed us to get free testing and free vaccines for so long. Um, That's ending on May 11th. So they're giving us a little bit of uh, warning before that just happens. But I mean, I think it's been three years since the initial cases here. Just was talking about that with some friends over dinner the other night that, it feels like a lifetime ago, but also not that long ago. Um, I think that uh, people are feeling ready to move on. Um, of course, there are still many cases, but um, I agree in some cases with Constantine that it feels like we are in a, a different place, um, in both in terms of numbers and in terms of resources available.
0: We have boosters. We have some kinds of treatment, uh, not a lot beyond Paxlovid, but... Uh, the it the winter has not turned out to have crushed our hospital system with COVID patients. So these some people lost their jobs, Jane, over their refusal to comply with this vaccine requirement. Will they now be reinstated?
3: So it's the city and the county say that they're not going to reach out to those people specifically, um, and I'll also note that it was a pretty small. Amount of people, I think it was one to two percent of the workforce. Um, but they do say that the folks who lost their jobs um, are, of course, eligible to apply for new jobs if they would like. Oh, um, I'm
0: eligible to apply,
3: <laughs> but,
2: but if you ask them, Thank they'll you. say you're not going to get any preference for it. They will mm. not give you preference on that uh, at the city. And um, you there's know, there's no, the no preference not... for
0: someone who's literally done the job before.
2: Right? They might actually know know something about how you do that. Mm. I also feel that the public um, has been way ahead of the government on this. You know, folks started kind of giving up on COVID. What two or three months ago? You know, everyone just started taking their mask off, going into the busy places. But you know, the government can follow, and they did. They did. Well, they're slow here, but they're they're on. Their time is okay too. Uh, I don't think the state is going to make any changes um, in terms of their requirements because the, some of those uh, changes were uh, collectively bargained, and you can't just say, "Oh, you know, I'm done. I'll, I'll fix it." Jay Inslee. So I think he's just going to.
0: So there was it was in perpetuity. They didn't pick a deadline when they, when this was collectively bargained. So it's hands that are part tied. I, that
2: part I don't know, but I, I I do know that so far there there's no um, plan to change the rules at the state level.
0: So state ferry, the state ferry system, for example, has they're still shorter workers, aren't they? And I know that it was I think something like 130 employees quit over the vaccine requirement and the ferry system has hired more people back since then than were lost. But they're still understaffed. Is it is it just a non-issue anymore, whether there's a vaccine requirement or not? It's more. It's a problem for someone who would I think like it's a, a job staffing and doesn't want a vaccine. Not a problem for for higher state agencies anymore. I
2: think it's a staffing. There's there's so many. You know, you go everywhere, and people say we are just short staffed. Short staffed. We can't fill this. We can't fill that. Mm. I mean, I, because the numbers are so low, I don't think that's the specific problem the ferry system is is facing. Yeah. But you know, also, aren't we all sort of doing things like. Sort of making calculations. Is this area where I'm going ventilated? Is the person next to me, and thank you all for not, coughing? Uh, and should I put a mask on now because I heard that cough? You know, because you've read all the stories about how the particles go up after you cough and sort of end up back with you. Talk to, uh, to me later
0: about toilet plumes. Go on. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, no, I know about that. On the okay. plane? Oh, my gosh. you want to say? Anywhere. All right. So anyway, of all the places, doesn't the ferry seem the most ventilated I know, I that all Good the- point.
0: Good point. Okay, anything more to say about uh, COVID changes? All right. Uh, By by the way, I saw Seattle Times said City of Redmond Fire Department dropped their uh, vaccine requirement this week. And like you said, they have the firefighters who used to work there have the option to apply. For a job. But no open positions currently.
2: That's the lingo you're seeing. There's uh, such uh, tiny numbers. Free to apply.
1: It's such low numbers, like broadly in this region. Obviously, I think it could have impacts in different parts of the state or whatever. But it was what, 1% 1 or something?
0: Yeah, that's true. Our Who weren't
1: vaccinated two years ago or whatever it may be.
0: Yes. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get to something that made us smile in a moment, Joni. You wanted to mention, you know, we we continue to eject Russell Wilson from our system. And maybe that was made easier by a report this week that his charitable foundation spent spending almost twice as much money on salaries and employee benefits as on charitable activities. Now, you're wearing a signed Russell Wilson jersey.
2: I am not. No, you are not. (laughs) Well, your reaction. It's a jersey, but it's. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Look, I I may be the only person in in all of Seattle or Washington State. I'm not angry at Russell Wilson. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing a Schadenfreude thing here. And that said look, just because somebody can play football really well, and, and you can challenge me on that in a minute, um, doesn't make them qualified to hire the right people to run a charity. And so this the, there's a lot of explaining to be done here when you have something like 75% of your money going to overhead, in other words, salaries and everything but uh, to people who are supposedly are going to benefit from it. But it is also possible that... This is a different model than a regular charity that collects and gives out money and then is measured against the regular uh, philanthropy, not quite rules, but suggestions, because there you wouldn't have more than, say, 35 percent overhead. But Russell Wilson's um, Why Not You Foundation is relying on third parties to raise money and not its direct contributions, at least this is the statement statement part of the statement that they issued. So it may be that and that you do this differently, that you read it differently. But I still think they have a ton of explaining to do. These are really high salaries. They don't seem like they're raising money in an efficient way uh, Hmm. to me, but I'd like to hear I'm open to hearing more. What I would like to say
3: is if there are any millionaires or even billionaires listening right now, (laughs) if you want to give away a lot of money, May I suggest that you find an organization that's already doing that and give them your money because they've already figured out how to do that instead of having to Form a whole new organization that may or may not be well run. Um, leave it to the pros, and then we will all clap for you. So
0: that's a good point. We have that's... go to Charity Navigator and find who's doing this very very well. I realize you're a Russell Wilson fan, but you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Is that the, the idea. <laughs>
3: I am actually pretty agnostic about football and Russell Wilson in general, which I'm almost not... a little bit afraid to say over the radio because now I'm on record about it. But. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, mean you
0: personally, but someone who's oh, like, yes. if you're doing this because you're a fan, how about doing this, doing it well? Because there are success stories. I
3: think that is one thing Mackenzie Scott did well. Um, right. I know some people who work for organizations that receive some money out of that. They did not realize it was coming, but it seemed like she and her people really did their research about what they thought, you know, where good work was happening. Um, and I i think that seems like a reasonable model. Yeah.
0: Okay, it's, we've got less than five minutes left in the show. Can, can we get to what made us smile this week? Um, I, I'll start. I, there, if a bill in the New Mexico state legislature passes, green chilies roasting in the fall will be New Mexico's official state aroma. Green chilies roasting in the fall. I had never considered this before, and it made me wonder, what does our state smell?
2: Well, if you had asked it as aroma, I could have said, tacoma but yeah. since you didn't ask it that way i'll say coffee because uh, you can sometimes smell it from idaho and oregon
0: that's got to be one of the most popular smells in the world like california has lemons we've got coffee and cedar we've got two of the most good smelling things there are
1: you also have that like v- funk of the vaguely pot in the air that was the first thing that came to mind though perhaps more of a seattle seattle smell.
0: yes the pot funk very good and you actually for those who weren't listening earlier you looked this up on oh yeah bing's fancy new search, um, search the... engine and that was uh,
1: one of the options cannabis especially yeah. know, the indoor and outdoor grow operations that produce the plant for recreational and medical use according to uh
3: ai
0: <laughs> thanks ai
3: well, mine were petrichor, which is the smell of rain after it's just fallen. Um, Say that oh, again. that's Pe- a good one. Petrichor. Petrichor, uh, petrichor is wow. the smell of new a, fallen
2: rain. And a $27 word there, too. <laughs>
3: that's um, This is less highbrow. Um, the smell of boiling wort near local breweries, especially if you're riding around Fremont-Ballard area. Often that is what hits me when I'm on my bike.
0: Wow. There's a state slogan. Come to Washington and smell our boiling wort. <laughs> if I were dating, that would be on my profile. <laughs> okay, we've got, uh, you know what popped into mind? I thought of cedar, which people put in there. Did they put that in their drawers and closets because of the smell or because it absorbs moisture or both? I
3: think both, and then it apparently repels mods. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. That's why I was. Always... Um, does anyone else have, I think I once had a Starbucks juniper latte. Yeah. So that would be combining. It's juniper syrup and it's got (laughs) pine, not cedar, but pine and citrus. I mean, was it drinkable or no? Yeah, it was fine. You know, I mean, they know what they're doing. They're not going to. It's it was sweet. It's sweet. Yeah, (laughs) citrus pine sugar or something like that. Um, Hops is a Washington smell. Sawdust, uh, jet fuel. You were saying. Ra-
2: oh, de oh, Razor Clam.
0: Oh, de Razor Clam. Yeah, that's what I thought the, the rotten egg thing was going to be. Uh, no, that's the, the Tacoma. I was thinking the rotting seaweed on the beach could be our smell. Mm. Which, say, again, is a good state slogan. Yeah.
1: I did a story once. Where I spent a bunch of time in northeastern Washington, and there was a lot of cattle smell. Oh, yeah. i say a lot.
0: The stockyards of Oregon. Yes. Yeah. I grew up in Nebraska where they definitely would claim that smell. Salmon. Who doesn't like the smell of salmon? Tear gas, <laughs> clearly. Oh. Mm. Too uh, soon. Washington. We smell like Bill Gates. Um, we have. It sounds like we have a lot of ideas. Why isn't this proposed? Is it too late to propose a bill? What's the bill proposing deadline in Olympia?
2: Do we know? Probably coming up. But, you know, the legislature loves these things. They love these. Yeah. What pickleball, didn't we do that last year? That's right. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Anything else to
0: smile about or do, do we... Do we wring it dry?
2: I got one. Yeah. Um,
3: so maybe you all have heard that Boys in the Boat is being turned oh, into did. a movie directed by George Clooney. Um, yesterday, I saw a TikTok of students at Squim High School who are proposing that the movie premiere be held at their high school auditorium in honor of Joe Rance, Joe Rance um, yeah. so that they can raise money for a shelter for kids like Rance who didn't have homes. Um and they, this is a
0: University of Washington no, team? A, was oh, the yes. Boys in the Boat store, wasn't it? The u yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes,
3: and, but Joe Rance grew up in Squim. Yeah. Um, and uh, they have made this TikTok. They're hoping to blow it up and get George Clooney's attention and maybe raise some money and have the premiere in Squim.
0: Nice. I like that. Alright, uh, we smell like boys in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for <laughs> yourself, please. <laughs> That's Joni Balter, speaking for herself, political analyst, contributing columnist. That's Jane C. Hu, science journalist with us, and New York Times technology correspondent Karen Weiss, who's got the la-di-da version of, of whatever Bing is Very doing. Fancy. Yeah, I'm just on the waiting list. Thanks, everybody. Thanks uh, for Thank coming you. in.
3: Yeah, thanks for having
2: us. Yeah, that yeah, was great fun.
0: Thank you to Week in Review producer Kevin Kenistet, social media and live streaming producers Juan Pablo, Chiqu- Juan Pablo Chiquiza and Teo Popescu, and Bernard Ouellette runs the board and smells divine. And I appreciate you listening. Look forward to talking to you again next week.
3: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPRs through line wherever you get your podcasts.